Uh, I know a lot of times as I look around the community, and, and to be honest with you, I look at some faces in here today, some people aren't the happiest people in the world. Some people aren't where they want to be in this, this life, and you can see it on their faces. And, and, and for us to be thankful, the Lord has showed me four things. I, I was thinking about this great big uh, Thanksgiving uh, celebration that we would do and all these Thanksgiving things, but the Lord again hit me by saying, if people want to be happy, if people want to be thankful, there's actually five things that we need to do, and we're going to talk about them today. But the first thing that he shared with me is that we've got to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, that we've got to love our neighbor as ourselves. That, that we even need to go to the furthest extent that we need to love our enemies, and then the fourth thing is, I think where a lot of us get into trouble, and this is a point that we don't want to do, but we don't want to get so self-absorbed that we can't do the above three. And we're going to talk about that a minute. It's about in Timothy where it says, in the last days, the love of many will, will wax cold. Well, again, that love word there. And then the last thing the Lord reminded me of is that a lot of us aren't happy because we're supposed to be ambassadors, representatives for him, and we're not doing anything. And, and we're just sitting on our hands all the time. And to me, guys, a lot of my happiness comes from leading somebody to Christ or praying for some marriage to be restored. Uh, a lot of the things that bring me fulfillment is helping my brother and sister. And if we're not doing those things, then you may not be happy. But that's the four things that the Lord showed, or five things the Lord showed me that we're going to talk about today. And so let's just dig in. The scripture that, that, that I'm going to share from today is out of Luke 10, 25. And while you're turning there, Luke 10, 25, the point that I forgot to make that, that God loves us unconditionally. God loves us to the point that, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God takes great joy in everybody in this room. He took great joy in me and loved me when I was a sinner. He took great joy and he loves me the same now as he did when I was, was that horrible sinner before salvation. And so we need to establish today that the love that God is going to be talking about today, he's already exemplified that, he's already demonstrated that for us. And the reason I say that of all the four scriptures or points that are up here today, where you see love underlined, love means the same thing. Because in the, in the Greek, when you try to describe love, uh, you can't do it in the English language and give it justice. Uh, when, when you look at the word love in the English, it covers everything. But when you look at love in the Greek and what this word meant here, it means I will to love and take joy in. And that's what God's telling us. I will to love you, Walter Garfield. And Carrie Rose, I take joy in you. God's already done that. He's already established that. So he's turning that to us. And all we have to do as believers, these are the only thing he asks us to do, is to love him, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies as, as ourselves. And, and what that word love broke down in them same passages means the same thing everywhere. It means to will, to love him, and take joy in God. When it comes to people that we will to take love and enjoy people. That we will to and, and take joy in loving our enemies. And so now that we're saying that, it's not as easy to be a Christian as we thought, is it? Do you love God more than anything today? Do you will to love him if you had nothing? And that, that's where we're at today. So let's read this scripture here. One day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? And he goes, how do you read that? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your enemy, your neighbor, excuse me, as yourself. Now, a lot of you in here today, if you're reading King James ESV, some other versions don't have the word love in there. It just says, and, and, and treat your neighbor as yourself. But the, the, the NLT, the NIV, and a lot of them say, love your neighbor as yourself. 
But if you, if you don't see that in your passage, Jesus, when he talks about love and loving your neighbor in Matthew 22, in Mark 12, it says to love your neighbor as yourself. That same type of love that we're talking about today. And so now they said that, let's go on. And in verse 28, right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And so guys, the opposite of living is dying. So if you want to live today, then you need to love Christ God with everything that you have. If you want to live today, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to live today, you need to love your enemies. Will to love your enemies and take joy in them as well. And so as we say that and we move on in the scripture, the man wanted to justify his actions and so many of us do that today. He wanted to look for a reason not to have to do these things. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, and, and again, a Levite, uh, if you want to compare it to, it's people that worked in the church as a praise team, it was the altar team, it was the, the ones that were greeting you at the door, it was all those that were in position at the church, if you will. When they saw him lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over him to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took him care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper to two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bull runs higher than, or bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked, and then the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Father, you're in this house. You're in this place. Father, you're wanting to speak to us. And Lord, I ask that every distraction that's in this house would be gone now in Jesus' name. Satan, we bind you and all you're trying to do to steal, kill, and destroy. You're not welcome in here either. And we command you to leave in Jesus' name. And Father, we release your Holy Spirit upon this body today. And Father, we ask that you speak to us through your words. And Lord, I ask myself that, that nobody remembers anything that comes from my flesh. But Father, that they would remember everything that comes from your spirit. And Father, that we would meditate on the word that's here today and that we would apply it to our lives. That, that Lord, that we would look at our lives and, and say, Lord, do we love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind? Father, do we really love you and our neighbor with all of our heart, soul, and mind? Father, do we really love you, our neighbor, and our enemies with all of our heart, soul, and mind? And Father, I ask that, that, that we would see and that our eyes would be open today. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing God asks us to do is you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. As I alluded to earlier, earlier this word, if you look it up in the Greek uh, dictionary that I have at home, this word love here indicates the direction of will and finding one's joy in God. If you have an NIV Bible here today, your NIV Bible will say it means this, refers to love in which the entire personality, including the will, is involved. In other words, when Jesus said you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, it meant with all your being. With every part of your life, with every aspect of your life, that you're going to love Him. And, and that's how we gain eternal life. That's how we live if you want to be alive here today. But guys, many of us, we don't get a hold of that. And, and that's what's scaring the tar out of me. We all say we love the Lord. 
We all say that He's number one in our life and that we take joy in Him. But you remove something from our life and it changes everything. We find out we don't love God as much. We find out we really didn't care as much. And and, and so when situations hit us, do we will to love God regardless of what's going on around us? You see, God was even, and Jesus was even checking Peter, this right hand of, of God in John chapter 21 when after the cross and, and Jesus had died and he rose from the grave, he went to Peter and he said, Peter, do you love me? Guys, if you look up that word love in that chapter, if you guys want to put it up there, it's that same love that says, I will love you. I will choose to love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. I will take joy in you. That's the question that Jesus asked Peter in this scripture that's behind me today. Peter answered that, that Jesus, the Lord God, he answered him by saying, he said, I love you. But the word that he used to demonstrate that, 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 that love that he had was philo. And philo means friendship. And that meant that I'm a friend with you, Jesus. Uh, that's where I'm at right now. Now, I know I'm losing all of you because this air is going crazy on us. Well, you want to check the rest of them. They're kicking down to 69 for some reason today. That one just did it. But, but anyway, the, the, he said, I have a friendship for you. And guys, I think that's the way Satan works. This morning, man, the Lord was moving. I heard that click on, this one click on. We were freezing by the end of the service, and it took our minds away by, from what we were doing. Can you love God if you're cold? Huh? Uh, but, but anyway, the second time uh, Peter, uh, uh, Jesus came to him in this passage, he said to Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me again? Do you will to love me and take joy in me over all things? And Jesus, or Peter again responded, Lord, I feel you. Lord, I, I, I'm your friend. Lord, I'm, 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 at, I'm at church on Sundays. I, I read the word on occasion. Lord, I'm your friend. But Jesus came to Peter the third time. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And again, if you look at the Greek word this time, Jesus changes it to philo. Peter, are you my friend? And it hurt Peter. You see it in the scripture behind me. It upset Peter. And Peter says, Lord, you know I feel you. I'm your friend. You know all things. See, Jesus was calling him out because the Bible says, you know, that's easy. God just told us two things, love our neighbors yourself and love him. And even Peter wasn't able to do it that time. He didn't love Christ like he should. Do you guys realize that a few days before that is when Peter had denied Christ three times? That, that he was this big warrior of God in a minute. The life changed and the guards came in and, and everything got tough. When the people came to him three different times, Peter said, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. So today when I say, do you love Jesus? When you're at work, do you talk about Jesus? When I say, do you love Jesus, when you're at work, do, do you tell everybody, yeah, I go to, to Oakland and I'm a Christian, and, and do you know Jesus? Do you try to lead people to Christ? Do you really believe in God that he exists? Then if you would die right now, you're either going to go to heaven or hell. Do you, do you really believe and love God? We all know that day really shook Peter. And I hope it shakes us today. I hope it shakes us today that, that do we will to love the Lord no matter what. If you're the only person sitting in this room because everybody wants to deer hunt or everybody wants to go play games or everybody wants to do this or everybody do this, are you going to love Christ no matter what everybody else does? Or are you just going to be his friend? But Peter got a hold of it. And we see that Peter, when he was filled with the Holy Ghost, man, he went out and, and he, he, he just tore it up for the kingdom of God. And tradition says that, that when he died, and I didn't know this until I studied it this weekend, I knew that Peter said, I'm not worthy to die like Christ. So he asked him to hang him upside down on the cross when they crucified him. But everything I read said that he did it because he denied Christ before it still bothered him. The reason he asked him to hang him upside down is because he had denied Christ before and he was making it right by doing it this way, which he didn't need to do. 
But do we love Christ with everything that we have? Uh, uh, we watched The War Room the other night. It was on TV. And, and again, that show, guys, go watch it. You see people in that show that went from friendship love to loving God. And, and they, they, it's a beautiful analogy. The Lord had given me this word, and, and I'd already had it down, and I thought, man, I just need to play the war room on Sunday. Because we've seen a man that claimed to be a Christian that was willing to cheat on his wife, that was thinking about cheating on his wife, that was entertaining other women, even went out with another woman, that was cheating at work, Cheating on his finances. You know, that's what gets me is, is we think that we need to cheat and sin to get what we want in the Lord. And I just don't understand that. But when God started getting a hold of him, it was through a wife that changed her life and gave her life completely to the Lord. And she didn't badger and beat him all the time. She was an example to him. And because of her example of love, it changed his life. But again, I didn't mean to get into all that. But, but today... You say, well, 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 how do I do this? How do I worship God? Man, you sang about it today. And the words, these are the words you sang today. What can I, can I say to bring you honor? You're great, you're good, you're holy, you're tried, you're truth, your kindness, your faithfulness, your peace, freedom. You are great, you are great, you are great. You guys were singing that today. Do we really believe that? Do we, is God number one in our life? Above all things, as Brother Dave the other day said, if, if you lost everything, is God still number one? Or are you going to blame him for losing everything? The second point here today is love your neighbor as yourself. Again, if you have your Bibles and, and look up the love word here, it's the same. It's the same. I will love my neighbor I will will to love my neighbor and take joy in him or her. That's hard to do, isn't it? Let me back it up a little bit more. Your neighbor's your spouse. You guys know that? Your neighbor's your children. Your neighbor's the people that's sitting around you in this room right here. And you have a choice. Whether you'll have compassion and forgiveness. Or you'll have harm and punishment for these people. That's what mercy means if you look it up. Mercy means it's in your power to love and have compassion or to bring great harm. And mercy is choosing to love. That's what mercy means. Okay? And so you go back to the story here of the Good Samaritan that had every right in the world to establish hurt and pain on this Jewish person. But he showed him mercy. Most of you know, but Samaritans were treated as half-breeds. Uh, I didn't know it until studying lately and that, that, that Samaritans were the result of the Assyrian War. When Assyria came in and took Israel captive, they took Jews back to Assyria. And they were in camps and, 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 and were back over here, segregated over in Assyria. But the Jews that were left in the, uh, the Israel area were giving them trouble a little bit, so they sent Assyrians in to intermarry with them. It hacked the Jews off because here we're getting persecuted we're in bondage in Assyria, and you're intermarrying with the scumbags, okay? And so there were called Samaritans. Now, the neat thing is, is where we're heading here in John chapter 4, you know, Jesus was wanting a drink at a well, and he asked a Samaritan girl for a drink. And she says, how can you ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan, you are a Jew. So you even see this hostility that she knew Jesus was a Jew by the way he looked. He knew she was a Samaritan by the way she looked. They did not like each other. They hated each other. It was horrible. And they were at this well. This well, I need to look in my notes because I don't pronounce things very good. But this well was called 
Mount G-E-R-I-Z-I-M. In John chapter 4, Jesus is at the bottom of this mountain. This is why the word of God is so awesome. Is in, in AD or, or, or 400 BC before Christ, the Samaritans had built a temple on this mountain above this well where Jesus asked this girl to get a drink of water for him. Now get that. In 150 or 120 BC, the Jews were oppressing the Samaritans so much that they went in and tore the temple down where Jesus was at with this girl at the well and made them and forced them to worship in Jerusalem. So they weren't only physically mean to them, they were spiritually mean to them. And what's Jesus do? But he ministers to this girl at the well, knowing that she's still upset because they got to go to Jerusalem, all the history. And he introduces forgiveness and said, there'll be a day where you can worship anywhere, anywhere by receiving me. Remember that drink of living water? That was Jesus. And man, Jesus was bringing restoration, forgiveness. He was bringing peace. He was bringing the love of God that he had And he was loving people. It's a beautiful story. We could have just preached on this today. But the Samaritan that that we're talking about today, he had every reason, every reason. It was in his power, this good Samaritan, to walk by like the Jewish priest, the preacher, to walk by like all the church people do, all the preachers do. He had every right to do it, had every reason to do it, had every reason to to show harm to this guy, but he chose mercy. He chose to reconcile. He chose to to be Christ-like. He chose to to love God and love people. And he gave this man all that he had. He doctored him, put him on his donkey. He took him to an inn. He doctored him there and, and took care of his wounds and stayed with him. And then he gave two silver coins, which was two days wages, which would keep this man up to two months in that end for free. Two months. And then he told the guy, he said, let me know if you need any more. He had mercy. He chose to love his neighbor. So I'm back again. Who is your neighbor? I looked up the word neighbor in the Greek word or Bible again. And it means neighbor is a fellow man, anyone in your proximity. Look around you. That's your neighbor. Anybody in your proximity when you're at work is your neighbor. Anybody in proximity when you're at school is your neighbor. Anybody at proximity when you're at the voting booth is your neighbor. When we go to Albania, anybody in your proximity is your neighbor. When you go to Liberia, anybody in your proximity is your neighbor. Wherever you go, anybody in your proximity is your neighbor. And you're to love them with all your heart, soul, and mind as yourself. And that's what the good Samaritan did here. What was funny in the Greek when I looked that up, it actually referred to the parable of the good Samaritan and said that it teaches that he who was inwardly near to us should be the object, or excuse me, whoever is outwardly near us should be the the object of our concern in spite of the fact that there are no ties of kindred or nation between us. So our neighbors, our spouse, it's our children, it's, it's everybody around us. When we were down at Carthage the other day and there was, we're running through that parade down there, They told me there was 30,000 people that saw that parade. That was our neighbor. How we acted there was our neighbor. When we went to Food Truck Friday, that's our neighbor. When we went to Lamar Fair, that's our neighbor. When we did our booth at Lamar Fair, that was our neighbor. But guys, it's more than that. It's every second, every minute of the day. Do we love our neighbor as ourselves? So when we're offended by our neighbor, do we will to love them? Do we will to take joy in them? Think about that. Do you, it's easy to take joy in our wife when she's doing what we tell her. Huh? It's easy to take joy in our husband when they're doing what they tell us. Or, or the women and their husband. I'm not married to a guy. God bless. 
It would never be. But it's easy to take joy in our children. But can you take joy in the people that you think you don't have to? The Lord's telling us today it's just as important. And so as you looked around today and said, man, there's a lot of holes in this church today. Where's everybody at? I don't know. Where are they? They're your neighbors too. They're my neighbors. There's people in Barton County that need Christ. And we see them every day and there's no reason for empty seats. If we really love God and our neighbors like we should, we would be continually building on. Okay, it's talking about numbers again. All he cares about is numbers. If we're doing what God asks us to do two things, love God and love people. And if we're doing them, these seats would be full. Well, if you were a better preacher, they'd be full. No. That one-on-one's more important. Well, if we had a better praise team, no. You know, I get tired of it. You wouldn't believe all the complaints I hear all the time. I get tired of it. Coach Ross, how do you say it, Sean? If, if fish, or if ifs were fish, we'd all be fries. I don't know. I butchered it probably. <laughs> if fish, if fish were fries, French fries, we'd all be fried. I think's how it went. But I don't know. We don't want to concentrate on that today. <laughs> you guys will be going home. And that's all you remember. What was he talking about? He called me a French fry. I'm not going back to that church again. Can't believe he called me a French fry. (sighs) The Lord really showed me when we don't love God and we don't love people, it's a sin. So how do we do that? God, you're great, you're holy, you're tried, you're true. You're kind, you're faithful, you're peace, you're freedom. You're great, you're God. In other words, we take joy in the Lord and nothing else. If your truck's so precious that your neighbor kicks a rock at it and you're going to hate him the rest of your life, then maybe you don't need the truck. And I can share a hundred examples. I had a neighbor one time, if you guys know, that I love my lawns and I want them taken care of. And I, I would help my neighbor and I'd mow his yard every once in a while. And then he would come in and scout my yard. And it infuriated me the first time he did it. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Kent, he's just trying to do what you did for him. And I had to repent of being angry. And say, Lord, I see the love that he had. When a lot of times people are just showing us love and we're getting all bent out of shape because they offended us. And yeah, every time he does it, I bite my finger. But I know he loves me is why he's doing it. He thinks he's doing something nice to me. You know, Jesus reminded me when I go through a lot of things and I, I hear a lot of things and I see a lot of people get hurt and And the Lord just reminds me, Kent, they don't know what they're doing. Just always remember that. That's what he said on the cross. So if somebody hurts you, just say, man, they don't realize what they're doing. And take the Christ road. God, you are good. You are great. You are holy. You see where I'm heading here today? You've seen these things. You guys are all doing this too. That was a joke, you know. But anyway, man, I'm totally losing you today. You and me need to meet next week, and and we'll work it out, okay? All right. What I did that is we act like we know what we're singing. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. But see, the Lord even took it a step further. He said, love your enemies. Did you guys get that? You have heard the law says, says in Matthew 5, 43, and for some reason, I don't think I got the scripture up there. But you have heard the law say, 
Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and in that way you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Now think about that. They hated and persecuted Jesus on the cross. Everybody was his enemy that day, but they, he realized they didn't know what they did. He said it on the cross. I realize you don't know what you're doing. Father, forgive them. I realize they don't know what they're doing. God, you are great. God, you are good. God, you are holy. Now, in saying that, I'm not telling you not to say anything. I'm not telling you not to speak your mind. You can say anything you want to say. It's how you say it. Jesus rocked this world more than anybody when it comes to politics. Jesus rocked this world more than anybody when it came to marriage. Jesus rocked this world more than anybody when it came to anything. But he did it in such a way that he knew they loved him. But they killed him anyway. You see? But guys, the definition of love here indicates a direction of will and finding one's joy in being a neighbor to his enemies. Love God refers to, and this is, anyway, I was going back in the NIV. In other words, the love word is the same thing. So you need to love your enemies and take joy in the situation. Well, pastor, that is not biblical. What about Paul and Silas? When they were arrested, that, them, them people were horrible to them in that prison. Horrible. What they do? They sang praises. God, you are great. You are good. You are holy. And what? The place was shaken. And they led the people to the Lord. They led their enemies to the Lord. You see, we get out of whack, guys. We, we think that, that, that we got to handle everything. When we just need to sing, God, you are great. You are holy. You're awesome. And we, yeah, I'm not saying you have to like the situation you're in, but, but if you notice, I take glory for this, Lord. Thank you for letting me be persecuted, the disciples would say. It's an honor to be persecuted for you, Lord. Wow. Wow. Flip up that next slide there, please. This here is Robert Rule and Gary Leon Ridgway. How many know who Robert uh, or Gary Leon Ridgway is? Anybody know? You guys should. Uh, what about the Green River Killer? This guy on the right killed at least 60 women, murdered them. And he was known for the whatever I just said, the Green Creek Killer, whatever. Uh, this gal in the middle was Robert Rule's daughter. And whenever they went to court, you know, she was murdered. And they went to court, and the, everything was settled, and they were, they were sentencing. And I don't know if it was whenever sentencing or, or if he was, they were going to kill him or whatever. But the families had a chance to talk to him. And they said the most hateful things to this God and had every reason to in the world. They, he murdered their daughters and took their lives from them at young ages. Man, you think about it. They had every reason in the world to hate this guy. But when it got to Robert Rule there, the guy with the white beard and hair, he said this. Mr. Ridgway, you know, we don't even have enough respect to call the president, President Trump. We don't even have enough respect to call President um, um, Obama. Uh, Lord, we got on to me a lot of times. I'd say, oh, Obama, because I didn't care for him. Obama, well, show him respect. President Trump, President Obama, treat people with respect. He said, Mr. Ridgeway, there are people here that hate you. I'm not one of them. You made it difficult to live up to what I believe. And that is what God says to do, and that is to forgive you. You are forgiven, sir. And that picture you see is the first time he ever showed remorse, they said, ever. And I'm not saying that guy got saved or anything, but that's treating your enemy, somebody that took something from you with the love of God, and the love for your neighbor, and the love for your enemy. 
Yeah, that was a difficult time, but God, you are good. God, you are great. God, you are holy. But so many times is point four. We get to that point that we love ourselves more than God. We love ourselves more than our enemies, more than our neighbors. And guys, I'm not, I'm not up here professing to be perfect. I'm not. Man, this is hitting me between the eyes probably more than you. Because I, I get tired of people, to be honest with you. And, and the other day I even said, Lord, I don't, I don't like being around people. I'm tired of the hate. I'm tired of the junk that goes with them. And the Lord's been dealing with me on this, and, but I love all you guys. I love you. But we battle things. But these are things we're supposed to be working to, but, but guys, uh, we tend to love ourselves, and, 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 and that's what Jesus was saying through the Apostle Paul when he said that in the last days, people will love themselves and their money and, and guys, there, if you look up that word love there, it indicates a direction of will and finding one's joy in loving self and taking joy in self. Just like the Jew in this story, he wanted to justify his actions. Okay, I can love God. It's easy to love God, which I don't think it's as easy as we say it is. But we can love God and, and I can love some of my neighbors but, but who are they? Tell me who they are so I know. And Jesus said, everybody. But so many times we try to justify ourselves because we are self-absorbed. And if you look at 2 Timothy, it, it tells you what self-absorbed is. And guys, something I didn't catch till the first service today, but do you realize will is in the passage of Scripture I'm getting ready to read nine times. Self-absorbed is when you have the will to put yourself above everybody else. And this is what the attributes that they said would be of those that are self-absorbed. They will be, they will be boastful, proud, scoffing of God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will be, betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that God makes them, the power that could make them godly. Stay away from those people. You see, self-absorbed people have their self on their mind all the time. They focus on them. They don't focus on anybody else. Have you ever been in a conversation and all people do is talk about themselves the whole time? That's self-absorbed. Uh, when we think of ourselves before God, before people, before everybody. Me and Dad were talking the other day and I, one of the classes I think that he's in with Maranatha and some of them, but they were talking about this last week being self-absorbed opens the door for demonic activity in the body. That's true. When you're self-absorbed and you're not loving God and people and your enemies like you should, it opens the door for demonic activity. And Satan can run crazy in your situation. So when you're upset with your enemy and you're not acting Christ-like, then you're out of order. Then you get out of order with them, it just gets worse. When you're not acting Christ-like and, and loving your wife and willing to love her, even when she's wrong, willing to love her, willing to forgive her and take joy in her, if you don't do that, it just escalates. And when you don't love God and love God the way you should, by attending the Sabbath, by reading your word, by being involved in things of the God, the guys, the church is important to God, uh, um, uh, Amanda Robertson's teaching a class now with the children on a, a book about how important the church is. And I picked it up and started reading it, and I, I, I read three chapters before I could lay it down. You know, we got this mindset church doesn't matter anymore. We got this mindset that we can get church over here and church over here when, when church is what we're doing right now. And Christ created church in His image and the way He wanted it to be. Ephesians chapter 5, when it talks about the, the wife should be submitting to the husband, 
And the husband should treat the wife as Christ treats the church, meaning he loves the church. When you're at church, you're going to be washed by the word and by the blood of the lamb. Christ loved the church. He loved the church so much that he compared marriage to it. And we say church isn't important. Man, we could preach on that for a week. And I'm chasing rabbits now. But, but I'm going to see if our care leaders, they've been asking me to do a, a we had a care group meeting there, whatever it was. And, and some of them mentioned, why don't we do some series together? I think I'm going to buy that book for all of them, see if that's something we could do. Because I think the world's forgetting how powerful the church is and how the church is the bride of Christ. And the church is you. It's the people in here is what makes it up. And every one of you are important. All of you are important. The other point I thought of here today, are we so stuck on welfare as a nation that we think everything is owed to us? Man, man, everywhere I go, people's got their hands out. We think that everybody owes us everything. That's self-absorbed. When we're dependent on anything but God, that's self-absorbed. When we're not leaning on our brothers and sisters and our Christ, that's self-absorbed. It's pride. Do this and you will live. Be self-absorbed and you will die. Love God, love people, love your enemies, and you will live. That's Christ's words, not mine. Be self-absorbed and you will die. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I went back and found some scriptures on on how important it is that we love God and that we love Christ. And these are Christ's words. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Christ's own words said, I'm number one. I'm number one. Jesus is number one. And if anything else is in the way, you're in trouble. And we know that's a comparison that the word said there, but that's how important it is. But when we get anything above God, anything above our spouse, anything above our children, anything above our church, that's the pecking order, I believe. Then everything else is after that. I love my dad and mom so much, I just wished I had to listen to them. So do we. One of them is be done on time, right? But I'll never forget when I was getting married, I told dad I was marrying Karen. And, and we were outside at Theodosia and you're barbecuing at Bullshows Lake. And, and, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. And he said to me these words, find an eight-hour job and get involved with your wife and get involved with your family and your church and don't do anything else. Then you'll be happy. Neither say I didn't do that. I chased the world like everybody else. I chased the dreams like everybody else. I chased the, the fame, all that stuff, until about 18 years ago, and I said, I don't want any of that. And that's when I come to work here. I wished I had listened to him on that day, back in the day, because there was a six-month period. I didn't see any of them when I was working at Freeman Jesus said, those who love this life and this world will lose it. Those who care for, for their life in this world or care nothing for the life in this world will keep it for eternity. The Lord reminded me to love and to take joy in him, people and his enemy. It's simply reminding us of who we are. And guys, we're ambassadors. For Christ. And, and I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures, but the, the definition of ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. I was reminded of Mike Kelly. 
that whenever he'll put on Facebook every once in a while, this is a thing before us, what's your opinion? And he always tells everybody answer yes and no, and everybody gives him a book of their thoughts and opinions. But what he's doing is he's trying to find out what we think so that he can go represent us. He's a representative for this area, 127. And he wants to know what we believe so that he can share that. Guys, we're representative ambassadors for God. And we're to represent him like Christ represented him. We're to love people with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we're to love our neighbors as ourselves too. We're to be Christ-like in everything that we do. And our job is to reconcile people to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20, So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So that's exactly what I'm talking about there. When we get saved, we're ambassadors for God. We're pleading to people. You guys remember, I didn't preach it to you guys, but uh, if you go to chapter 16 of Acts, and I was preaching this the other day, but it said that Peter went around pleading and arguing the word of God for two years. Two years before a move of the Spirit happened in that community. And that's what we are. We are ambassadors going around arguing and pleading the word of God in love and, and, and with our testimony and our example. And then the scripture goes ahead and, and Ephesians says, I am in change now, still preaching this message as God and God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Peter, or excuse me, Paul knew he was going to die. And he would, be, he would be martyred for God, for being the ambassador. And he prayed that you had prayed with him that, that he could still be bold. Man, we need to pray for each other that we be bold. We're the ambassadors. We're the representatives of Christ. He's entrusted us with the kingdom. He's done all he's going to do. The rest of it is through you. It's through you. So I'm going to close with this today. And there's two slides you can read with me. Christians, you. If you're a believer here today, it's you. Are God's ambassadors in the way in that we have been approved by God to, to be entrusted with the good news? 1 Thessalonians 2.4 As we go through this world, we represent another kingdom. John 8.36 And it is our responsibility to reflect the official position of heaven in other words, God and Jesus, what they want us to say, their word, not change the word, but follow the word. We are in this world, but not of it. John 17, 16. God's ambassadors are to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Matthew 10, 16. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, we must take the message of the King to the ends of the earth. Acts 1, 8. Imploring men and women everywhere to be reconciled to God. That's our job. We're ambassadors. Earlier we talked about the empty seats. Norma, if you want to put up the next slide, I challenge you guys to fill the seats. And here's the challenge. This is our attendance year to date on 8 o'clock, 1030 and 1130. And I'll let you look at it for a minute, but we're down eight people. That's year to date. Last year we averaged 307. That's just in these three worship services. Today we're averaging 299. We're down eight. I challenge you to be the ambassador of Jesus Christ and go out and tell others about him and, and bring them to Christ. And if they come to church here, fine. Some of them will. But I challenge you that we finish strong this year I challenge you that we represent Christ well. And we do it by loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We love it by loving our neighbor, not picking them pieces. If you guys want to find sin in me, I, I can show it pretty quick. Just live with me for a week. Then you can talk about me and tell me how bad I am. Or you can help me get through it. Loving your neighbor, your spouse is your neighbor. You know, I don't need to go over it again. 
But the message is here today is to, that I will to love God and take joy in Him. I will to love you and take joy in you. And I don't have any enemies here, but I will to love my enemies and take joy in them. And when you do that, your life's going to turn around because you're no longer self-absorbed. And Jesus can do something for you then. These altars are open today and I ask you to please stand. Take a look at your hearts today. Guys, don't go out of here thinking I got to make the next appointment. That's everything. Where are you at with God now? Do you love Him? If you die right now, do you know that you're going to split the gates of heaven wide open? Or are you like Peter? Well, you know, I've been a friend of you, Lord, but, you know, I'm not sure. And man, if you got a neighbor you need to ask for forgiveness for, you better take care of it. If there's discord in here today, we need to take care of it. Because a house divided is going to fall. But it's time to take care of business. These altars are open for those that want to pray. And if you need to go, just go. But I'm not going to close it out today. I want people to be able to pray if they want to. And if you need to go, just go. But Father, we thank you for your word here today. And Father, I ask that you move across this body. And Lord, let us see your words today. Not Pastor Kent's, your words. And Father, let us meditate on them day and night. In Jesus' name. But Father, we accept the challenge that we will fill these seats because of our love for you and people and nothing else. Amen. These altars are open. Do as you need. I'm up here to pray for healing. If you've got some issues you need prayer for, we'll pray for you.